Small Business and Startup Stories DSM features conversations with small business owners who share both their victories and failures on their paths to success. Small Business and Startup Stories DSM is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash smallbusiness. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell. Ben Lefebvre, welcome to Startup Stories. Why did you start CertainTel? You know, my background has been in healthcare, more on the, the sales and marketing side in the biotech pharmaceutical space. So that's really what I what I know. Um, always had an entrepreneurial kind of twinge that got from my father and, and, and family. Uh, I always ran a, a small business um, entrepreneur and knew I always wanted to do something. Um, and so start at New Healthcare was what I knew. And I wanted to get started uh, in something I could build uh, from scratch in the space I'm familiar with. Well, and your timing was good because the healthcare tech scene has really taken off. And not you know, there's the healthcare scene of devices for healthcare and drugs for healthcare and all that. But the tech around it, the operational tech in the last 10 years has really, really taken off. It, it really has. And, and I saw that um, even on uh, being on the pharmaceutical kind of prescription drug side as we started you know, engage with providers and clinics and hospitals. It really, the big boom started with tech uh, was around the electronic health record boom, yeah. switching from paper to all electronics. And I saw that progression, uh, the growing pains, but really in the end, uh, how it really transformed the whole industry was pretty amazing to see over my 15 plus years in the space. And that transition is not over. I think some people think, oh, everybody's got an EHR, but I was reading an article the other day about the disastrous problems with some of the older EHRs that were designed, they were never designed for a doctor to use. They were designed for insurance processing. And now we have these docs and nurses and PAs and specialists all trying to learn a lingo that makes no sense. So the whole thing's going to churn again. It, it absolutely has. I mean, it, to be honest with you, the whole EHR and, and tech movement has really retired a lot of healthcare professionals that just said, I, 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 I'm, this is not how I, why I went to school to practice My medicine. My 61-year-old brother, 62-year-old brother, is a nurse in a procedure, a scope procedure area. And the number, and this guy's got a comp sci degree before he got a nursing mm-hmm. degree. He's a computer science person, wrote code for 20 years. Those systems drive him insane. And he said, it's the one thing that wants to drive me out. Absolutely. Is they make no sense. And here's a guy that wrote code for a living yeah. and understands it and just drives him nuts. To that point, I mean, the, a lot of the early tech, uh, we, we focus on electronic health records. But again, Mike, you're right. It wasn't built for clinicians' user-friendliness to be more efficient in what they do. That's what they said it was going to do. But it, it really was not the case. Yeah. Um, and so it's been a journey over the last... 10 to 15 years in that, Boy, in that no market. Kidding. So what problem did you set out to solve initially? Because I know it's changed, Absolutely. it's modified, it's morphed, but what was the first problem set you really went after? You know, I, again, going back, that question, I'll kind of go back to the first one. Why, you know, why did, you know, healthcare IT start up? And a lot of it goes back to, you know, personal experience. You know, I've always been upfront about the passion behind what I do how can we prove better access to care for people that, that need it the most? I have a brother that's a veteran, struggled quite a bit, and is almost all half of veterans, they, they tend to migrate towards more rural um, areas mm-hmm. outside of the hustle and bustle sure. of the city life. And him getting access to the services he needed that were available, but simply from a logistics driving, you need help when you need it. And saw him struggle uh, immensely, and continues to do so. But saw a transition around how can how can the VA better engage, prove outcomes that connect to to, to make a difference. And so really 
saw a need for my brother struggle, see where the VA has kind of gone now is actually leading the charge and seeing some results of how that's really impacted him on a positive, positive way. So, you know, that's again, going back to why I started and really with the changes in my experience, uh, just taking that experience and how can we scale that to the masses that really need that um, going forward. And for those who don't know what CertainTel does, what I remembered originally as was telehealth capability for mental health services. Exactly. And that goes back to a shortage of providers, um, um, a change in technology to kind of these big video conferencing equipment to more mobile web-based applications. And that exactly right, Mike, was really the impetus why I started CertainTel. Um, And that's what we started and built out as a user-friendly portal to allow providers to engage with patients in underserved rural areas. Absolutely. Well, a couple of things you taught me, and if I could Stop me if I get some of these wrong, but you found out that the challenge of finding the provider and just getting to the provider is just as hard in the middle of an inner city, large city, Chicago, New York, LA, as it is you're in southern your family's in southern Indiana or central Indiana. Yep, right? Yeah, more central Central uh, Indiana. Yep. Which is kinda of like being in central Iowa. There's Correct. not you know, you gotta drive sixty miles to get somewhere. So it's interesting to see you saw a rural problem and then found out that hard urban has the same issue as True rural. Absolutely. And, and where you focus on folks that have challenges, maybe they're uh, not quite e- equipped with a steady job or those types of things because of a mental health I- issue or challenge or just being underserved, uh, low income. Statistically, say in some instances, it's even tougher because they're taking, you know, choices to take PTO time off or find transportation, take a bus pass to this, to this location to get there, wait a couple hours. You um, can have all the benefits in the world. If you have to do the public transit across Chicago, absolutely. you're talking two hours each way. That's just the way the world works. And then you show up and because you're a half hour, 40 minutes late, sorry, you're going to, you know, yep. the appointment's been passed to come back. A, a significant challenge. You know, when you look at underserved, rural certainly falls under a category, but urban just as well, Mike, with the challenge of getting access to care. I just think it's something most people don't realize. They don't. Yeah. So you've been in business for several years now. How has the problem and solution set changed for certain time over these last, what, it's been four or five years now? Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, Really, you know, first year kind of doing a lot of customer discovery, you know, understanding what kind of solutions were out there, particularly in the underserved market where we focus on these are organizations that... When I say underserved, they're, they're healthcare systems, providers that really are charged with providing care to the most vulnerable among us um, uh, in the communities. And so that was the start, uh, get it in the hands of behavioral health providers, uh, licensing SaaS model, um, replacing kind of old video conferencing equipment, how they use to engage. Um, but what's really progressed and changed significantly over the last couple of years we all understand the Affordable Care Act, ACA, uh, the changes there. And we think of that from a patient-consumer perspective, what's changed, access, expanding health care, Medicaid, and, you know, health insurance for underserved. But a lot of folks don't know how that's impacted and changed the whole industry of how clinicians, providers are getting paid. Oh, yeah. Right. So <laughs> totally different. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's really accelerated the change from. I'm a clinician, you know, you mentioned a family member that has it that I'm actually going to get paid back to how well the patient does. And so they're incentivizing uh, providers to engage in different ways, uh, to engage them where 90% of things happen was outside of the four walls of the clinic. Yeah. So that's changed our, our model. And we're not just, a, uh, we're not just selling, okay, a technology use, we're, we're really selling 
how they can be successful in in what they call value based care world or or pay for value, fee for value versus fee for service and and within that a lot of other opportunities and payment but it's really changed one of our business model certainly uh, not just a per provider per month fee for a SaaS but how can we incentivize on the per patient basis right. by incentivizing healthy outcomes and improved uh, improved patient engagement. So has it been primary legislation that's driven the change? I mean, is that what's driven the market? It, it has. It, it, legislation has really driven uh, driven the market, and that means different things. One is, you know, again, just a different payment model, but also, two, it's really pushed down payers. So, you know, think of Wellmark, obviously, here here locally. Based off the legislation federal government, they're changing their policies of how they're engaging with provider groups and clinician groups and incentivizing them in different ways to lower costs. And so absolutely, it's been, been legislation. Um, with that is just incentivizing payers to uh, providers to engage patients, improve outcomes, and putting performance bonuses around that. Um, all of that has really changed, uh, accelerated really in the last two two plus years. I know a lot of people in the medical community, and most of them like the basis of that idea. I mean, there's always issues, and I don't want to sure. belittle those issues, but in general, I mean, I, I've had my share of health problems and spent some time in hospitals, mm-hmm. and I can guarantee you the last thing I want to do is spend more time in the hospital. No. So not going back, staying a day less, is, is really, for anybody that's been through the process, <laughs> um, that's a great thing. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's not easy to get well in the hospital. Uh, it sounds contrary. But the way hospitals have to run, you know, getting me up at 5 a.m. to weigh me just is the way it is sometimes, even if I am tired and want to sleep. Absolutely. And, and, you know, legislation, but also, um, again, with the Affordable Care Act, ACA, they really bucket goals of all healthcare falls under this umbrella is we know if the patients are engaged, um, they're going to uh, make better choices and have Absolutely. better outcomes. Obviously, just uh, a term is called population health. So as an organization, healthcare, how can you better control the population health? And the third one is the one that they focus on the most from a payer perspective is how do you lower the per capita cost uh, sure. of care? And one way to do that, Mike, as you mentioned, you know, as we've many of us had health issues, their goal is we don't they don't want to see you back in the hospital. Well, within, yeah, within 30, because if you days. do have to go back for something that wasn't done right or something that was wrong or not taken care of correctly. That's expensive, it, 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 and it's stressful on the patient. I mean, even if it was the perfect world, we could afford all this stuff. It's not fun to go back. The mental stress, the physical stress of going back saying, what's wrong with me? Um, the last big event I went through, I had to have the same procedure four times in a row. And there was no fault in that. There was not, It ended up that's the way it had to be. But believe me, by procedure three, I was really stressed out because they just didn't know. Didn't. And so anytime you can eliminate any of that. So Absolutely. we're talking about regula- or about uh, you know legislation. How about regulation? How does regulatory affect your product? Significantly. Good or bad? You know, it's well. The trend is easing regulations. Okay. Um, what I mean by that is allowing clinicians, care teams, to engage patients in different way versus just a standard. You're only going to get paid when a patient comes to your clinic and you have an engagement. Then you're going to be able to build this, um, build this code. They're easing that regulation because, again, they see that when they make care more accessible, better outcomes happen. The overall cost of health care goes down. But but it's still very challenging overall, particularly with utilizing mobile health and applications to engage patients in the Medicaid space, which where we uh, focus a lot on. 
it's state by state regulation. So 50, I was going to ask 50 you about states, that. 50 different policies. Did you know that going in? I had no clue of that going in. I was going to say, because I know some other people that went into an industry, insurance specifically. I, don't, I can't tell you how many people come into the insurance accelerator, and one of the first things they learn is there's 50 sets of regulations. And it's like, uh-huh, and they change all the time. Absolutely. And uh, so, so that is... And one of the barriers to entry in this space in healthcare in general is is understanding the landscape, the challenges, and you know one of the first things I do every morning, um, I have kind of my uh, resources I can go to, but you have to read up, know what's going on, not only know where we're at now, but uh, what's going, what's in the pipeline, every state, uh, what's in the legislative process, what may okay. pass. It, it's daunting, it's a lot, but 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 it's critical. But overall, the good thing about the space is from uh, restrictions on how providers can engage and get paid and do what they need to do, uh, those uh, restrictions are, are, are easing significantly. Um, you've built a lot of partnerships as a part of your offering. Can you talk a little bit about what have you learned about building partnerships? And, and more importantly, what advice do you have for others doing the same? Because it's hard to walk alone in any industry, in any space, it's hard to be alone. I work for the Greater Des Moines Partnership, and I can't tell you how many partnerships we have. So in the startup space, tell us a little bit about that. You know, partnerships come in many shapes or forms or, or, or what have you. I mean, you know, one of the, I mean, I look at initially when I got started as a Greater Des Moines Partnership as a great partnership because we... Uh, uh, I was not meant to get a plug. I know, I, I know. Okay. It, it was just, a, but but again, it it is a partnership, you know, building solutions that help early stage companies that may have some traction to get some mentorship, you know, all of that. And that's a partnership. But I guess more specifically as a startup to continue to, Grow and 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 be able to continue, you know, operating. Um, we knew in the healthcare space that you can't go it alone, as you said. It's it's too challenging. You want to convince folks that have a brighter web or net that validate what you're doing mm-hmm. and have the relationships built over years. And one example would be, you know, the Iowa Primary Healthcare Association. So mm-hmm. their uh, organization here in Iowa, Ted Bozen is the CEO that is basically the educational partnership for all um, safety net clinics in Iowa. And so part of our process was to partner with that organization, share what we're doing, educate them, the benefits of that. And so what's helpful is that is that they can push that message down to their organizations and be a uh, a really be an advocate for for what you do. So on a sales and growth perspective, it's a a one to many, you know, opportunity. And and we have some other ones that are formal partnerships, you know, similar contracts where, you know, they get incentive by also uh, launching our solution. But what I found in in partnerships, they 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 take time. I'll be honest, there's some partnerships where I spent a lot of time where it, I realized, you know, eight months later, that was a waste of my time. And you, you but live, you had to spend six of those eight months to even find out. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you but you live and learn. And, and the other thing I'll say about partnerships in the startup world is don't expect any partnership to all of a sudden, you know, sell your product right. for you. It's not going to happen. You got to leverage that the right way to grow because uh, we get we're a mission driven organization. But you know, we're not going to be able to achieve our mission if we don't get sales, revenue right. and, and, and growth. And so that's when a couple uh, learn. Be very careful who your partnerships are. Learn very quickly. Uh, know the ones that are going to add value that are sh- aligned, shared goals. 
Um, but even after that, even if they have a financial incentive to launch a product, don't think they're going to sell it for you. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I would add to that, don't don't make a single bet. Don't bet on one number on the roulette table absolutely. because you're going to need multiple partnerships. And there's partnerships. I mean, I know you have partnerships on the technology back inside where you're integrating other systems. Absolutely. You have selling partnerships. You have... Let, you know, there's so many different ways um, to, to have those partnerships. And, and that's a great point. Uh, uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because we are still our baseline is we're a healthcare IT you know uh, company. Right. So we have a technology that we're, we're we're offering and selling, and everything kind of goes from the electronic health record. Um, a lot of challenges and interoperability and all of that, but but we have been able to form some partnerships uh, with some key EMRs where they allow us access to their APIs to integrate workflows and all of that. And those have been very positive uh, relationships. Didn't know when we first kind of started some of these integrations about three years ago, how important it was going to be today. But now we walk into a health center group and, and one of the first questions I ask, is your solution integrated? With our with our electronic health record, of course. <laughs> like because if, if you're not, it's a big stop. It's a big stop because what any clinician with all the things uh, they have to do in a day, uh, healthcare is that you know having to do one more click is a daunting. It's not what task. they're there for. No, and we talked about how bad the HRs are seen today. Yes. Don't make it worse. <laughs> exactly. Don't make it worse. And, and that's one of the biggest learnings. Where as you nav, as again from a kind of a young guy, you know, first startup. New help, new doctors, knew how to talk to them, knew the healthcare landscape. But you know, you have a solution that's all the benefit, you know, the ROI there for the clinic, revenue, all those things. And you know, you get on board, and then you know, if you have a medical that's not on board, it's going nowhere. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah, no. so those are some of the uh, uh, learned things as well. Is that even though they may not be decision maker, your users within a clinic, whether it's our telehealth, remote patient monitoring, some additional offerings we have, you have to get buy in from the clinicians that actually deliver. Yeah, the I work. mean, that kind of gets to one of the things I learned the hard way. You know, there, you get involved in the tech industry. There's so many potential partnerships, and so many people want to partner. Yeah, it's a constant. Hey, let's partner on this. And one of the things that I learned through my the guy that I work for, uh, Tom Miller, he had he said, you know, before we will write the contract, let's just go do a deal together. Yeah, let's just go work together on a project. And he called it dating before you got married. And I, you know, because truly, writing a contract is not fun. Yeah. takes a lot of time, and it has nothing to do with making money. It's important. But it has nothing to do with making money. Absolutely. And if it, what, what always fascinated me is he'd start that discussion. Let's just go do something together. I'd say almost half the people, the conversation was over, because they couldn't explain to us their half of the let's go do something. Yep. To your point, they might not sell it for you, but what is their value add? Absolutely. You know, they're there for a reason too. Why are they trying to get this partnership? And just that simple question of, hey, let's go do this deal together. Who's a good customer? When I look back on who's one of our strongest partners to date. That's how things started off. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A company called Blue Novo uh, in the space. They had a unique expertise around integration and implementation that 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 we didn't have. But, you know, the CEO said, and I think honestly, Mike, I, I think you shared that advice with me probably two plus years ago and, and stuck with me. And that has been what we just said. Let's just go do something. Let's let, let's uh, let's go joint call with a customer and and uh, yeah. see what happens. Let's, well, and you uh, just hit something right there. Do it with a customer, because the customer will keep you glued together. Absolutely. They'll they'll take you. You'll want the customer, so you'll work through the issues. And once you've worked through one of them, all the contractual issues become secondary. Absolutely. Because you're you're more focused on how much 
benefit you can add, money you can make, customers you can satisfy than you are about, okay, what's Clause 14 on if I do this and you do that, then who does what? Absolutely. Agreed. So how did you get into the medical industry? (laughs) Well, you know, attended Drake University. uh, It's it's kind of an interesting story. uh, Make it brief. You know, Drake obviously has a great pharmacy school. Mm -hmm. Um, Eli Lilly is a company that, that used to Come to Drake to, uh, uh, they only hired pharmacy, pharmacists as pharmaceutical sales reps, right? Oh, so, interesting. Uh, yeah, and so they would come to Drake campus every year looking for folks that maybe didn't want to be in the, you know, a pharmacist, the corner, but interested in a different career path. And so, uh, so interesting. One of the, the managers came and did on-campus interviews. I uh, did have a friend that was in the industry and, you know, thought that uh, at that time I thought is, hey, I, I know they pay pretty good money <laughs> right out of college. Well, that is so, important when you're coming out of college. <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, went for an interview, again, knew a little bit about the industry. Fortunately for me, uh, the, the the hiring manager liked me and um, I had an offer before I graduated wow. and, and got into the pharmaceutical sales. So what's your degree in? You know, I was a, a marketing and economics major. So Interesting. Absolutely. So, so no, you weren't studying pharmacology. I was not at all. And, right. um, and and uh, on, the, on the business side. But, but you know, right place at the right time, uh, got in the industry, learned a lot. You know, they have some great training programs. Oh, they have to. Uh, Fortune 500 companies. And that's how I got into it. And uh, varying roles throughout my career that kind of brought me full circle to where I'm at today. How long were you at Genentech? Oh, man. So I started with Roche uh, Genentech um, probably in 2006 or seven um, around that time. And so was with them for, um, gosh, until what, 2013, 14. Great organization. They're they're kind of considered a founder of biotech. Yeah, I was going to say they were an early, early. Well, from the outside, what I know from an outsider, they were early in the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, And what was interesting, one of my roles that... Uh, we were a leader in hep C treatment, right, at the time under okay. diagnosis order. Worked with a lot of uh, safety net providers, we'll call them, that, sure. that see a lot of patients that got in trouble in the past and uh, contracted hep C un- un- undiagnosed and was re- really able to uh, engage with these groups about, you know, screening, diagnosing, and treatment. But at the time, there are very few, uh, even if they're diagnosed, very few specialists that knew how to treat it, liver specialists. Right. Uh, University of Iowa was basically basically it, and a couple wow. others. And so worked on a project to how can we help uh, rural providers at CHEPC get the expertise uh, from a University of Iowa uh, clinic and, and treat the patients locally. And so and that's a, with some of all these things that are newer diseases, newer yes. happenings. It's, you know, the people, they all want to treat the problem. It's just the knowledge. How, the, the how do you knowledge. get the knowledge moved across? And the industry has a lot to do with that. It's, Absolutely. It's, but at that time, they're using big, you know, video conferencing clinics and equipment and, sure. and saw some opportunities there, a big need uh, of that type of special engagement, whether, you know, moving to psychiatry or what have you, and kind of had the aha moment that, hey, this is a huge need particularly in the underserved uh, rural and urban settings uh, to get access to care. And you saw the coming PC, Mac, mobile phone, video, audio. Absolutely. I was talking to somebody about my past career in mobile computing where we built these rugged mobile computers, and the the current cell phones destroyed that market. I mean, Mm -hmm. they really... They upended it. I mean, that market almost doesn't exist anymore. And I think about high-end video conferencing, which used to be a big business. Absolutely. It's pretty much a small business now. It is. It's not much left of it. 
and uh, it's it's interesting to think how much one technology replaces another, but it's always the application that drives that. Absolutely. It's not the tech. It, it is not. It's the application, the, the, the use case. And at that same time, you know, I, I, I was uh, from my very rosy Genentech in a home office from a product management, sales training, a bunch of different things. One of my main roles was uh, moving our sales team from, you know, paper detail aids to interactive details on the iPad or what have you, yeah. uh, switching that. And so, you know, worked with uh, some technology vendors to build those, uh, help build those apps. And so kind of taking, seeing where the healthcare trends were going and my experience a little bit with tech, I'm not a coder, but, but seeing that kind of brought that together. It was the aha about, you had a lot of, you had a lot of the experiences of doing a startup inside Genentech. We did, uh, launched a a program called Project Echo through Genentech, uh, innovative way. Again, uh, Hep C was the main one, but how can we connect providers, university specialists, to rural providers. Again, we obviously the underlying thing is we had the drug that would treat these disorders. So, but that was one of the more exciting projects I had and really got my first experience with telehealth, which is essentially just providing care services, education at a distance. Well, you make that sound so simple, but I, it's not. I wish it was I mean, simple. seriously, <laughs> I just heard you say that. I wish it was that simple. Essentially, it's just this. And it's like, well, it's just a video conference call. No, it's no, not. It's not. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. Well, you do and you don't, because if it was that simple, everybody would be in the well, business. Well, I, I wish it was that simple when, you know, you have everybody that, hey, want to do that, just, okay, just sign on down the line. Yeah, Let's go. Just, yeah, I do, too. I know what you mean. So what brought you to Drake from Indiana? You know, I uh, wanted to go to school, wasn't too close to home, wasn't too far away. Um, I did run track, Drake Relays. Most folks that are, uh, uh, this is a podcast from Iowa, understand the Drake Relays. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, consistently. So I uh, came on a visit, felt at home, and uh, so a combination of school, not too big, not too small, and uh, the track program was what brought me from yeah. uh, from Indiana to uh, to Des Moines, Iowa. Track to marketing economics to Absolutely. medical to startup. Absolutely. Interesting path. Switch gears a bit. Let's talk about managing time and stress. Oh, okay. I think that, you know, I've known you for several years. Yes. And you've had more than your fair share of bumps on the road. <laughs> None of them self-inflicted that I remember. No, seriously, I don't remember you ever really causing yourself a big problem. But I, I'm curious, and I don't want to get into what happened because sure. it doesn't really matter. We all, everybody has bumps on the road, Absolutely. but what have you learned from these experiences? Because you've got a lot of people out there that are going to listen to this that are at the front end of doing a startup. And I think about, you know, Lana Fox. Absolutely. And she's in year four of her startup. And I think about where she is today versus where she was that first year and all the stuff she learned. And I just think about you and all the stuff you've gone through. Absolutely. I, one of the I guess, biggest advice I could have is when you do a startup, don't first don't think you know everything. And, and um, <laughs> you know, there are folks out there that, that want to provide advice if they know you're serious and you're really open to learning, not that they have all the answers. So all that said is choose the right mentors, choose the right people that are within your circle that, you know, some are just going to take some time. They want to know if you're, you're not going to waste their time um, and the like, but, but, but choose who you partner with from mentorship. um, And I probably don't know, probably touch on this here in a little bit, but you know, from folks that you're, you're, if you're looking to raise money, who you're going to raise money from, that's another critical step. Um, don't just take money to take money. Take the right money. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that was kind of the next question was raising money. Um, 
you've been through this a couple times. Yes, yeah. And uh, around in some notes. Yes. Hopefully, you won't have to raise any more, but you never know. <laughs> um, what, what, what? Uh, any particular lesson you pass on on the specifics of raising cap? Yeah, man, I've learned a lot through this process. Um, one, just be trying to be be prepared, right there. Talk to folks that have done it before. I think there's some times where, you know, you're excited, you think you're ready to raise, and and I'll be honest with you, sometimes you're not necessarily trying to raise, but it's kind of presented to you and you're Mm -hmm. excited about it, so where you're maybe not as prepared as you would like to be or or not really fully wanting to raise money. And if you're not fully, if you're not ready, uh, which means getting your deck, financials, all those things together, or if you're not sure you want to raise money, don't start the process. And don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, I agree. It's not something that you do halfway. It's a, it's a full-time job. And that, to me, that's one of the challenges. And, and I'll be uh, frank. I mean, I we wouldn't be where I'm at without some key folks, uh, unbelievable uh, you know, CTO, other mentors, folks that have invested. But I, when I started it, I was a single founder. That makes it even yeah, more you were challenging. on your own. I was on my own. And, and raising money is a full-time job. My mindset always goes to focus on sales, all of that. That's always lead number one. But if you're truly going to raise uh, a bigger round or raise it the right way, Mike, to your point, it's, it's a full-time job. Yeah. You've got a nice team built these days, it seems like. And I'm curious, how tough has it been for you to hire talented employees here in Des Moines? I'll be honest with you. Des Moines has been... Unbelievable for for talent. Talent is here. Oh, it is here. I would say my process has been kind of right time, right time, right place. But however, it starts with talking with folks that you choose as mentors that know folks. People in Des Moines want to help you, and I can tell you, you know, I wouldn't have found my CTO, Mike, if I hadn't just engaged with you. And, and is that uh, how you? I don't even remember. I did. Yeah. So you introduced really? me to. Uh, you, it was just right timing. And CTO. I was, had, I was about to ask you how you met David. Yeah. I did that. You did that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Oh, because I met him through Don. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny because that is a lot of my job. People say, what do you do? And I said, you know, the funny thing is a lot of what I do is connect people. Absolutely. I find myself writing these notes and saying, in fact, I wrote one the other day. It said, you two have to meet each other. I can't tell you what each other is doing because I'm, you know, it's confidential. But you really have to meet and talk to each Absolutely. other because you guys would be, or gals would be perfect together, you know? So I guess to that point, my, my learning, if I evaluate that, it's, Man, get out there and meet folks, you know, share no your kidding. passion. Don't be afraid to tell everybody about your idea. Nobody's going to steal your idea. Get out there and tell Thank as you. many people as you want, as you can. <laughs> Don't be asking for NDAs and all this other stuff. Just go out there and talk to people what you're doing, what you're excited about. And people will, in my experience, has you need to meet this person, so person. And, yeah. and that's how I built a majority of my team. Locally. You know, and the thing about the confidentiality part, if there's something super secret, just don't tell. So, you know, we got this black box approach to it. Uh, we used to get in that with our customers all the time. How do you do that? Well, that's kind of what you're paying us for. We take A, we produce B. Absolutely. And if you want to sign all those crazy contracts, we'll show you how. Otherwise, just know that we do it really well. Absolutely. And that's good enough. Do you find doing business in Des Moines challenging? I didn't know what to expect from a business community. Um, yeah, because you knew it from a college community. I knew it from a college uh, community and then came back from, uh, you know, really the, the tech hub in San Francisco in the Bay Area. I was going to um, say, you were in the middle of it. I, I, I was, but... But my experience in Des Moines at Drake and the folks that I I'd met in the community, the business community, I knew this was the right place to come back to give this a go. Um, you know, certainly the cost of living is a lot less than that, and that's certainly. and that's important too. A dollar goes a lot a lot further here in in, in Des Moines. But um, but this was the right place to get things going. And um, again, the community 
I've found has really grown over the last couple of years. When I first started, it was kind of greater and more partnership. There was kind of a, a, a little bit of a startup ecosystem. Um, I could be wrong in how I'm visualizing that because I'm so tunnel focused, but, no, but it, it, pretty accurate. It, it, it is grown significantly over the last three or four years. What I mean grown is there's no excuse for you not getting support when they get out here or even raise capital in Des Moines because it's it, it's here. And this yeah. is, the word is getting out, but I, I honestly, I go to other areas, meet other startups. I've been through uh, some accelerators, other things, and, and the word is kind of out in, in the Midwest, Des Moines, you know, uh, Kansas City, Nebraska, Omaha, that this is, the Midwest is a good place to get started. Starting to hold our own. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of great communities out there. Yes. So how do we make the Des Moines startup ecosystem stronger? My feeling was growing up in corporate um, America and knowing how challenging innovation is within a you know Fortune 500 companies. I always thought in Des Moines has unbelievable companies from insurance. You know, uh, you know, insurance obviously is is a big one, but great companies. I always thought that there could be better collaboration between you know corporate and and the startup. And but I've seen a drastic change. Um, it's like, starting to change. It's starting to change. I mean, starting you know, to. the ag tech accelerator. Um, the insurance accelerator, things like that make a lot of sense to me. And I think that was the, the, you know, the missing piece. And I think the other one is, again, my experience is if you want to raise capital here, you can as well. Again, that's what almost, you know, you go to these meetings where everybody here is tough to raise. And I'm saying it's, it's, it's easy, but it I, shouldn't be it easy. Should, anywhere. It shouldn't be easy anywhere. As someone who invests money, I'm going to tell you something. It's never going to be easy. Yeah. But, but what, but I think that's changed for the better too. I mean, just the, the, the capitalists here, the, the, the really experienced angels that, that know their stuff that can help you get to the next uh, phase if you need to. And so, I'm excited about where you know where it's going. Any there always could be more investors, more VC firms, sure. all of that. But overall, I'm pretty uh, pretty pumped about Good. what's going on here. So one thing I've noticed is the mining ecosystem doesn't tend to socialize as much as some of the other ecosystems. I don't know what it was like on the coastlines, but you know, in the West Coast when you were out there, but there was a social scene mm-hmm. in Seattle. I mean, there was it was every night. And not always good, yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot of socialization. I guess the one thing I see out is how do we get more people of our startup scene together more frequently? How do you think we do that? I'm looking. I've been looking for this answer for about two years. So if you got it, lay it on me. You know, I, I guess my feeling is that I hope this makes sense. I think a lot of these things try to be a top-down, you know, approach, right? So, yep. you know, pushing down. I, I think the the way to make that happen. Start of it is 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 I keep it simple. I think the more successful startups you have that are successful and, and achieve and other folks see that and, and, and folks that have been thinking about, hey, I always want to go off and do my own thing or, or um, make my own path. I think just more successful companies that are, that are growing, like, you know, like Adwala, like these other organizations, I, I just feel like it's going to funnel up a lot more engagement around that just when the ecosystem. So I think it starts with having companies be successful, you know, mm-hmm. that, that started off. And, and I think organically folks will come together and, 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 and start to chatter a little bit more when they see company success. And, you know, again, we're a long ways to go, but we, we hope to be one of those organizations. So oh, I think you're going to be, how have mentors influenced your journey? Yeah, man, where did I, where did I start? <laughs> mentors have been everything for me. I mean, I, 
you know, you hope you have, if you're starting some of a passion, maybe some experience, or you don't even have to say experience, but maybe you have a unique way of looking at industry and seeing a problem that's right in front of you and, and creating a plan to do that. But I would not be where I'm at today without folks that have given me advice, um, encouragement, um, but not only encouragement and kind of saying, hey, listen, here's here's what I'm seeing are some, some missing, missing pieces. Um, they've been everything to me. And, and, and again, in this Des Moines community, there are mentors there. Folks want to generally help you be successful. But again, um, the folks that you want as mentors too, uh, you know, don't waste their time. You right. know, that, that's another thing. Don't, don't waste their time. If you don't waste their time, if you, if you say you're going to, you know, if you say, hey, here's what I think the next step, here's what I'm trying to do, here's what I'm saying, and you do it, they'll be willing to help you along the way. But mentors have been um, everything to where we're at today. So for those of you who are listening or looking for a mentor and for those who, who want to give back by being a mentor, check out uh, dsmpartnership.com slash mentor connection. It's something we launched recently. Um, we already have over 50 mentors on the system. Oh, that's great. And we've already had over 25 entrepreneurs, mentees, sign up and I think we've made about eight or nine matches already. So it's it's proving out good. It's, it's a way to expand that network and we encourage you to take take advantage of it. Ben Lefevre, thank you for being on Startup Stories. It's a pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Small Business and Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by these stories, we offer a hub full of resources needed for any small business owner to grow and succeed in Greater Des Moines, Iowa at dsmpartnership.com slash small business. Thanks for listening. <laughs>